amen on this. Getting old is not for sissies. And, yeah, yeah. That's my brother's. I wish I could claim that, but that's my brother's saying that getting old uh, not for sissies. Well, let's get in, let's look at truth and consequences here today. <coughs> it seems that truth is under attack more in this country than I can remember in a long time. Um, and as Christians, we are to be beacons of truth, I believe, and and we shouldn't contribute to that. And unfortunately, I have at time or two. I'm not going to sit up here and preach to you and not confess that to myself because I've done that some as well. <coughs> but uh, we've never seen the concept of truth, I don't think, in my lifetime anyway, so misunderstood and manipulated or misused as it is today. And that presents a threat, not only to our society, but to also our spiritual health and our spiritual growth. If there's no standard for truth, there's no trust, and there's no reliable guidance. Personal relationships break down. Um, it becomes subjective. Truth becomes subjective. My truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth. And you leave my truth alone, I'll leave your truth alone, and we're all okay. And when facts become, when the truth becomes alternative facts, and and stuff other people say is fake just because I don't like it, you know, uh, truth is under attack. As a matter of fact, it's, it's pretty widely accepted now that we're in this the age of post-truth. And that's really sad to me. We live in the post-truth era. And this is the old English dictionary. It's even got its own definition now. Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So <coughs> we're living in a post-truth era. Uh, truth is no longer really considered that important to many people in our country. And it only belongs to those who are the most convincing at presenting the facts or the most convincing at lying, or what a person believes regardless of the facts. So we're going to break this down into three things. We're going to look at what is truth. We're going to look at uh, the importance in truth and how to handle, <coughs> how to handle the truth. <coughs> Excuse me. This is, uh, once again, the Oxford English Dictionary. This is one of the definitions. Truth, a quality or state of being true, that which is true or in accordance with fact or reality, a fact or belief that is accepted as true. This is another definition. Truth is conformity to fact or reality, to a standard or ideal, steadfastness, a statement of belief that corresponds to reality. <coughs> And then this is, this is just a saying that, that I found and like. Truth is truth, even if no one believes it. A lie is a lie, even if everyone believes it. Do you agree with that? I hope everybody, I, I sang Jesus, we all sang Jesus loves me a while ago. I think everybody could agree to that absolute truth. Everybody agree in this building? I think so. That's an absolute truth. That there's some people say Jesus didn't exist. Or Jesus did exist, he was a prophet. Or Jesus wasn't the son of God. There has to be some absolute truth somewhere. The confusion over truth was even true in Christ's day. This was uh, <coughs> recorded by the Apostle John as Jesus was as uh, Jesus was appearing before Pilate shortly before he was crucified. Uh, and Jesus, uh, let's read this together. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. He's talking to Pilate. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. 
In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge uh, against him. Pilate really wasn't asking for an answer from Jesus with this. It's kind of a smart aleck rhetorical question. He didn't expect Jesus to, to answer that. He's basically saying nobody can really know the truth. And, uh, and it's obviously he didn't believe Jesus because even though it says right there, I find no basis for a charge against him, he crucified him. An innocent man, and he crucified him. And he was innocent. That is the truth. So why did he do it? Well, history shows that he did it both for politics and for peace. He just tried to appease the Jewish leaders. He didn't want a big uproar. So let's just kill that guy, kill one guy, and it's over. We know that wasn't the truth, right? The Christianity was not over at that point. Truth was standing right there in front of Pilate, and he couldn't even see it. This is from John 14, 6. <clears throat> Most of you know this scripture. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth embodied stood right before Pilate, and he couldn't see it. Jesus is the only way to get to live with God for eternity. He is the absolute truth that is the basis for all truth regarding a relationship to God. John 1, 14 through 17, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word here, by the way, uh, is Jesus, as John points out in that chapter as well. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and what came through Jesus? Truth. Grace and truth came through Jesus. With all these claims of deity, there's only three ways, really, to regard Jesus Christ. There's three, way, there's three options. You only have one choice. He's either truly the Lord, or he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. Those are the only three choices. A liar, the Lord, or a lunatic. We all in here know he's the Lord. That is the absolute truth. John's gospel actually uses the word truth or a version truth or truthful more than any other book in the Bible. John wanted to make sure we got this. John 14 records parts of Jesus's, that what we read there a while ago, part of Jesus's last words to his disciples before being arrested. The last, oh, about four chapters, three or four chapters of John is talking about what they were doing when they were uh, at the Last Supper and uh, before he was arrested. So let's look at the importance of truth. Why is honesty the best policy? Honesty in both speech and in action. So let's look at some of the benefits of truth and the consequence of lying. Uh, back when I was young, uh, if any of you have more than one child, Typically, you know, one is usually not like the other. A lot of times, that was me and Kevin. I was the good one. <laughs> He's not here, so I get to claim it. 
when, when, uh, but I remember my dad told me one time, he said, he said, don't you ever lie to me. He said, you always tell me the truth. He said, because if I find out, it'll be worse on you when I do. I believed it. Kevin didn't. As a matter of fact, you'll have to have him tell you this. Back in grade school, there was a threat of a lie detector involved. So anyway, you let him, let him get involved and know that. He turned out pretty good, though. So, uh, so here's some of the benefits. Here's some of the benefits of truth, other than not getting a spanking. Um, it's simpler. It's simpler to tell the truth. You don't have to keep up with a lie. Lies are hard to keep up with. You're going to slip up at some time. If you, uh, an anonymous source here, I like this saying. It says, "If you tell the truth, it becomes a part of your past. If you lie, it becomes a part of your future." It gives you a reputation for honesty. It's a pretty good reputation to have that people know they can count on you to tell the truth. Now, guess what? Lying is a malicious thing. Being a mistake is not. We all mistake. Mistake it from time to time. That's why I usually check to see, make sure, unless I know that source knows what they're talking about. But I know most of the people that are talking to me are lying. They're just not being mistaken. I've been mistaken before, and I'm glad people forgive me of that. But you do earn a reputation for honesty. Uh, that saves time and it saves money, and you know what? Lies come back to haunt you. If you're truthful to people, people tend to be more truthful with you. There are some uh, it, uh, studies have shown that uh, telling the truth and honesty is healthier. Stress levels tend to drop, people sleep better. According to the Science of Honesty study conducted by no some Notre Dame professors, they quote said, telling the truth when tempted to lie can significantly improve a person's mental and physical health. That's kind of the finding of that. Also, lying can cause self-criticism and depression. You're always having to keep up with that. If we lie to others, believe it or not, we tend to lie to ourselves and causes some uh, mental and uh, physical and emotional problems. And honesty increases your influence and persuasiveness. And I'm not talking about using that as manipulation. I'm talking about using that so if people hear you speak and you want to, especially when you want to tell them about Jesus Christ, there's more influence there because they believe you. They know what your motives are. And so maybe you can persuade them to consider Jesus Christ as their Savior. And finally, honesty creates trust. There's a book out called The Speed of Trust. And it's more about on the business side, but talks about faster transactions. If you've got two people, one wants to sell something, wants to buy something, and they trust each other, they don't do a lot of checking up on each other. But if they don't, they spend lawyer time, they spend accounting time, they spend a lot of research time. So that's called the speed of trust. Trust actually creates opportunities. Um, business and personal transactions of human relations must be carried out with a code of trust and honesty or else everything else will break down. So it's also a foundation for good relationships. It's just a core character trait. Let's look at the spiritual benefits. His truth sets us free, as David read today. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What does it set you free from? It sets you free from death. Not physical death, but final death. It sets you free, but it does set you free from fear of physical death. It sets you free to live the most abundant life you can live when you're not shackled by all the things that happen living a sinful lifestyle. 
It frees you from the depravity that could destroy lives. How many people, have, uh, I don't want you to raise your hand. Rhetorical question. How many know of somebody whose lives have been destroyed by drugs or by alcohol or by, you know, uh, you know, uh, just, just being not trustful and, and betraying people? Um, and it sets us free to live eternally uh, with God. The, uh, we are actually in that little one down in the corner there where it's sanctified into that truth. Sanctified basically means to set apart or make holy. We are actually made holy through God's truth. And God's truth, as we know, is who? Who said I am the truth? Who said that? Jesus. So we know what the truth is. So let's look at some spiritual consequences. One is uh, that if a person uh, if a person proclaiming to live for Jesus lies or doesn't have his facts straight, does that damage just go to the person, the liar? It goes to everybody else that, if that, that proclaims to live for Jesus. All Christians become tainted because of one liar. It reflects on all of us who follow Christ. If one of us lies, it, people say, all those Christians are like that. You know, they're all hypocrites. I've heard that before. Some of you may have heard that before. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves. We are to be, uh, we are to be uh, reflections of God's glory, not a veil over his glory. The main people, the main way people see God is through us. So it reflects on the world's perception of God and I want you to understand what I'm saying. We are the only, quote, Jesus people will actually see. If we're part of the body of Christ, when I look at Ron Weibel, I'm supposed to see Jesus. We're the only physical embodiment of Jesus that the world will see. Let's live like it. Let's, let's be the truth as he was. Mo and uh, no, trust, no truth equals no trust. Most people find their way to Jesus through a relationship, somebody they trust. Some do go to gospel meetings or revivals and converted there, but most come through relationships. And so, uh, so that's why we've got to keep our trust. Uh, no truth equals no trust. No trust equals no thanks. We don't want what you're selling, and we are to be the body of Christ. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. And the relationship, uh, uh, the spiritual consequences of lying is that it damages relationships within the church. If I can't trust you to tell the truth, and you can't trust me to tell the truth, what happens to the relationships in a congregation? It falls. Love falls. Trust falls. That all, that all, you know, that all happens. Um, that, I think that's one of the things uh, Paul was warning about here in Galatians 2. And he's talking about, by the way, I want to set the stage here. The apostle Peter was the first apostle, he was the apostle to baptize the first Gentile converts into Jesus Christ. Now keep that in mind. This is Peter who had a vision to convince him that it was okay and not to show favoritism. 
Guess what he's done? He's gone to Antioch and he's shown favoritism. He's refusing to eat with Gentile converts and only eating with the Jews. This is an apostle. You think, we, you think anybody's immune to slipping up once in a while? I'm not. Uh, you answer for yourself. Um, so anyway, Paul wrote this. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, which is another name for Paul, uh, Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Peter, the apostle Peter, was causing division in the church by showing favoritism. Uh, and Paul knew he had to, well, if anybody watches, uh, watches uh, Andy Griffith's show, as Barney Fife said, he had to nip it in the bud. That's what he was doing, that's what he was doing right there. Also, a spiritual consequence is we're following Satan when we lie. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We speak English. Satan speaks lie. In Mexico, they speak Spanish. Satan speaks lie. Everything out of his mouth is a lie or a misdirection or a misstatement. And so if we find ourselves lying, then we, that's a sure sign our relationship with God is slipping. And then also, fake hypocritical judging uh, Christians and unrepentant sinners who reject the truth of Jesus are actually doomed for eternal destruction, Romans 2, 1 through 8. You therefore have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. This is honesty in speech and action now. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and the truth and follow, uh, self-seeking the, the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. I think he was talking about perverting the truth there. I think I left out a word there. Okay, so let's look at how to handle the truth. Do we, the world has a choice. And too many times, rather than ch following facts, they follow, they follow fiction. First, we have to find the truth. So let's look at some of the obstacles to truth. You know, lies live in the darkness, and truth is the light that shines light on that. There's a term out there now called gaslighting. I don't know if you've ever heard about it, but it's a technique people use to that they will lie constantly and tell you that what you believe is not true, and they'll keep lying until they either make you crazy or they make you cast doubt on that because if they're saying it so often, it must be true and it causes you to question. The other one is, the other technique is lying relentlessly. And that uh, numbs your desire for the truth. Man, I'm so tired of him or her lying. I, I, I just not listen anymore. I just don't want to care about it anymore. Trusting your feelings more than the facts. Um, the, uh, uh, a Christian counselor I uh, heard of one day that he was uh, 
counseling a woman that had broke up with her husband, and she told that he, uh, she told that Christian counselor, she said, I know God wants this for me. God did not want that. But in her, that was her feelings, right? That's what she wanted. So we trust feelings more than facts, only believing what we want to believe because it benefits us. Just labeling truth to be fake. Uh, this is what the Jewish leaders did, by the way. Uh, this is the first time that I see, well, one of the first times I saw it. This is after Jesus was resurrected. Uh, and the guard, remember what happened to the guards outside the tomb? They all, like, fell over as dead. Jesus was rose up. Typically, when something under their care, in this case, a dead body, shouldn't have got away. But there's some, a lot of time that results in death for the guards. So here's kind of the setting for what we're reading about now. While the women are on their way to the tomb, I'm inserting that here, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. That's also a death sentence. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And at the time of Matthew's writing, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day, and it's probably still in, in many Jewish circles circulated uh, to, to this very day. The other big thing is, and this is something we all pretty much suffer from uh, from time to time, it's called confirmation bias. And basically, there's a bunch of fancy words up there. It means... If you agree with the information presented, you will accept it. If it goes against something that you already believe, you will reject it. And that is never more true than I see in spiritual matters and in religion in the USA today. It's that way because I believe it, and I don't care what facts that you present. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, so once, basically what happens, and, and we're all subject to this, once we have formed a view, we embrace the information that confirms that view while ignoring or rejecting information that casts doubt on it. Um, here's a good example. One of the tricks our mind plays is to highlight evidence which confirms what we already believe. If we hear gossip about somebody that we dislike, we tend to think, I knew he was bad all along. If we hear the same thing about our best friend, we're more likely to say, ah, I don't believe it, that's just a rumor. So that's confirmation bias. And that's true on both social and spiritual uh, contexts. So let's talk about finding the truth. For spiritual truth, use God's word. Uh, in, uh, for spiritual truth, use God's word. Um, and for worldly issues, may, use historically reliable sources for your sources of information. Uh, so always use a reliable source, but there's none more reliable than that right there. God's word is truth, as we saw in John 17, 17. Don't spread false gossip. And it's never been easier to do that than today. There's something out there called Facebook, and I use it, and I tell you the stuff I come across there, that the, there's the most hateful stuff sometimes, there's the most in untrue stuff comes across that time. And I don't intend to, but I had been guilty uh, a few times of somebody posted something and I just sent it along, uh, shared it on Facebook, 
and I found out it was actually false. I felt really bad about that. And now I try to always remember to use fact checkers before I share anything. I mean, I just don't want to be part of spreading false gossip. And I don't think Christians, uh, any of us in general, want to do that. As far as avoiding confirmation bias, uh, they've studied this since the 60s, so it's well studied. Uh, it's not just enough to say, well, I'm going to be unbiased when I read this or when I hear this. That doesn't work. What has worked is, is to consider the opposite. Um, the Berean Jews actually did this when Paul talked when he was out there on his missionary journey. He said, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, so they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. These are Jews. He's talking about something diametrically opposed to what they had studied and, and that this is the Son of God and he was crucified. These Jews were considering the opposite. The ones that in Thessalonica didn't, they were prone to confirmation bias. Um, so one method is to try and disprove your own beliefs. Uh, what are the arguments against what you believe? If your beliefs can be substantiated, you're on the right track. Uh, my greatest time, and I just a personal testimony, my greatest time of spiritual growth, uh, growth occurred, one, when I read the Bible for the first time all the way through, and two, uh, I challenged everything I had been taught. Not because I didn't trust people, I just challenged everything. Can I find evidence as I'm reading through the Bible that that's the case? I discovered that much of it didn't add up, but the foundational beliefs in God, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the love we were to share with others is right on and is foundational and true, and you can count on it. Some, much of the other stuff was used for sources of division. Um, I'm, I've had some pretty in-depth discussions with atheists, and this was on Facebook, by the way, and, uh, but I just couldn't let it stand what they were saying. I'm sorry, but I am going to stand up for that. And we need one uh, convince each other, but I convinced myself even more in God by considering what they had to say and saying that just doesn't add up and uh, and, and, and here's just a, a tidbit on confirmation bias if somebody has confirmation bias studies have found the more evidence that you give them that what they believe is not true the more they dig in it doesn't work so if you're arguing with somebody on Facebook like I did with the eight, it did, but I really wasn't necessarily trying to convert them. I was trying to dispute what they were saying for other people, mainly reading. But still, that, that doesn't work. If you're going to argue on Facebook and try to convince somebody, it doesn't work. Just stop it. Give me some cute pictures of your kids. Uh, <coughs> um, and the thing we need to remember is to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4, 15 through 25. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity... They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, 
and to put on the new self, created to be like God in the true righteous in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. If you want to truly communicate effectively with someone, I don't know if, if any of you have read a book, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But the fifth habit is, summed up in this way, seek first to understand, then to be understood. But Rick Prue wants you to understand my point before I even try to understand, and I have to guard against that. If you want to truly have some influence and a positive influence, seek first to what their story is. Why do they believe like that? And try to understand. You may not agree. That didn't say to agree. It said understand it. And then seek to be understood. So, the, here's the truth that is spoken in love. To be spoken in love. John 3, 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So, if you've not been living your life in a way that reflects the truth of Jesus Christ, you're welcome to come down here and ask for us all to pray for you, and we'll do that. If you prefer, you can just later on ask a few people to pray for you privately. At least if you have been struggling with this, I hope you will repent of mishandling the truth, and, and from now on share the truth of Jesus Christ and his love in both your words your, and your actions that demonstrate your commitment to that truth. If you've been living a life of walking in sin, based on the lies of Satan rather than the truth of God, you can publicly repent of that sinful life and have your sins washed away by being baptized in the blood of Jesus Christ today. You are welcome to do that right now as we stand and sing.